transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. And welcome to another edition of Match Report. I'm here with Manny and I'm Jack. Manny, how are you doing? How was your New Year? New Year's was good, man. New Year, new Manny, clean shaven, ready to start 2024 with a bang. How was yours? It was all right, although I'm feeling my ripe old age of 32 these days. <laughs> I was walking wounded today. I have a, a beer on board here for the podcast trying to just get a little step down from a, <laughs> from a big a big night um but yeah happy to be in a new year not so happy with the christmas presents that i was given by my beloved arsenal we'll get yeah. to that shortly but you know it is new year's day and there was a game uh, the mm-hmm. first game of 2024 today liverpool hosting a very banged up newcastle squad although yeah. they're starting to get a few people back um, and in the end, you know, it was a comfortable scoreline 4-2 yeah. for Liverpool, but it didn't always look that assured. Mm-hmm. I, I thought Newcastle got in behind them a bit. Um, they did put two goals past them. Uh, you know, how were you feeling? Did you feel like Liverpool should have put that game away earlier, that it was maybe more even than the scoreline suggested? Uh, I think the scoreline actually flattered Newcastle a bit. Um, also, scoring four goals is was deserved, um, but in the first half there could have been two, three, and up going into going into halftime with the game already wrapped up. Uh, and I feel like the problem Newcastle had was I think they gave way too much respect to to Liverpool. And the moment they did try to play a little bit on the front foot um, and go and be, be a bit more positive, like you said, they got in in behind them. And Isak's a great finisher. Um, I just think he was starved of of um, of service a lot of the game. Um, playing Joe Linton as a left winger, you know straight away that's just about, you know, giving that extra cover on the left wing, which is where, sorry, on the right wing, which is where Liverpool are just so dangerous. Um, and then the midfield, you know, back with Longstaff, who's just a great runner, works hard, dogged. Um, but it, it seemed like the only real outlet was going to be a counter-attack through Anthony Gordon, um, you know, or, or break, break away with, with Isak up front. So I think if, if Newcastle actually went into that game with a bit more positive attitude, I think they would have got more from it. Um, but overall, I think uh, Liverpool's attacking attacking prowess just blew them away. Um, it could have been three three goals up in the first half. Um, Silas missed a penalty. He got another one uh, right at the death. But yeah, I, I think scoring four goals was what they deserved. Um, and conceding two was probably just the same Liverpool that, that we've mentioned look very weak at the back. And if you do go at them, you can get a couple goals. Yeah, I thought Miguel Almiron was getting in behind them over and over again. But I, I think you're right that, you know, it should have, it could have been six or seven. Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, it's old hat at this point to point the finger at Darwin Nunez, but he was profligate again mm. uh, in front of goal. Uh, I just don't have confidence in him in the box. Yeah. And that is supposed to be his bread and butter. He wears the number nine for Liverpool football club, but when he gets in one-on-one, uh, he had another one-on-one chance uh, here. Anytime he gets a shooting chance, I feel he's, it's sort of a hit and hope situation. Yeah. 
he's sort of just smashing it as hard as he can because I don't think that he has the confidence to pick out a corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you end up hitting the keeper in the chest a lot. Yeah. Uh, when when you're approaching your chances that way. And, you know, we'll talk about Mo Salah's, you know, impending departure from the team for a month. But I, I fear a little bit for them if they're going to stick with Darwin Nunez uh, at the number nine position to, to score the kind of goals, you know, this is a classic Liverpool scoreline, I think. They can score four, five, six, but they're going to ship a couple as well. Yeah. Um, I think with, with Nunez, what I'd always like to say about strikers is if you're getting the right positions, that's definitely a positive and the goals will come. Uh, I think it would be a lot more worrying if he wasn't creating chances or getting himself in the right areas to, to finish. Uh, I do feel like he does rush a lot of his chances. Uh, he rather goes for power rather than placement. And I think he's not an inexperienced forward. You know, he's played in the top European league. He's, he's got European pedigree. Um, and, and he's now obviously in the Liverpool side. This is going into his second season or his first season. Where I just feel he could... <coughs> he should have improved his finishing by now. But he's getting the right positions. And he's always a constant threat. And you're seeing that when he does play through the middle, he does open up a lot more space for the wide players, uh, a bit more than I think uh, a Gagpo does or, or Jota. I think Jota's a much better link player than, than Nunes um, and a better finisher. But I, I, I do think his stretching ability and his pace and his, and his running power means he's quite lethal and he's always going to get those those chances. But he does have to work on his finishing. A lot of the time, it's, it's just taking that breathing, calming down, you know, and, and picking a spot. And even if it's on your weaker foot, you know, Placement's always sometimes better than power, but I think it's encouraging. If, if I'd much rather my striker constantly have chances and and miss, and his shots are not as wild as they were earlier in the season. Some of them were hitting the corner flags and Rose Ed and all of that. Um, but and he doesn't give up, and that's that's the right attitude. He keeps going, um, and you know he got uh, he got an assist, so he still produced something in the game. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see if he can start putting that together. I think on the other side of things, as you mentioned, Alexander Isak sort of showed him how it's done in terms of, you know, Darwin Nunez, as you say, is great at running the channels. He is a problem for any defense, but I think Isak, he has that ability to run the channels, get in behind. And when he gets there, it's in the corner Mm. and he, he punishes uh, a Liverpool side that, you know, as we always say, they can be got at, um, but in the end, you know, I think that Liverpool's superior play, uh, you know, won out. And it's another curse of the commentator here on the match report. <laughs> but we've been slagging off Wataro Endo uh, for a few, basically for the whole season. Yeah. But I would say over the last two to three matches, beginning with that Arsenal match, yeah. he has looked like he may be at the level uh, required. I-, I think the jury's still out. Mm. But... He's been snapping into challenges and and playing a bit of that Declan Rice role where a lot of his job is to trap the the opposition in their own third to instantly snap into tackles when they enter that midfield area that he's trying to make his domain. Mm. I think he's he's shown some improvement just in time for him to go off to the Asian <laughs> Cup and not be in the team. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I do think he's his intensity and his tenacity has improved. Um, and that was always, well, maybe not always, but that was going to be the case with, with more experience in the league. My biggest question mark on him is how how well is he at progressing the ball? 
I think that, you know, the other great centre mids, uh, number sixes in the league, can do both, both, you know. They can do the defensive side as well as progressing the play and that first phase of building up uh, attacks for teams. Rodri is number one at it. Uh, Rice, I think that's also an area he needs to improve on, but he's a little bit ahead of, of Endo in, in that regard. Um, but I feel like Curtis Jones going back into that midfield has helped a lot because he's great at progressing play. Sabaslai, my jury's out on him, if I'm being honest. He seems a lot mm-hmm. like a long-range shooter. His his end product is not great. Um, his weight of pass, just that little bit of quality that you need in the final third, I haven't seen it yet from him. Uh, but McAllister's back now, and like I said, Enzo's probably going to go off to the Asia Cup. So it's going to be a rejig in their midfield again. It's going to be interesting to see how they balance that. But there's there's just still question marks um, defensively and, and in transitions for Liverpool. And I'm just so shocked that they're top of the league. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't, you know, trust them to do the job week in and week out. But, you know, they get points, I think, mostly because they just score so many goals. Yeah. Um, I I actually think Sabazlai, I we saw a bit today of, of what he offers where he pounced on a loose ball in midfield, drove them forward from the halfway line to the 18-yard box, and that created either the first or second goal, I think, for Liverpool. Um, it was amazing to me how much everything went down the right flank and the really the right channel, mm. uh, that, that half space. Uh, I guess Dan Byrne was just out of his depth uh, dealing with Mo Salah. It's a bit of a... He's obviously a better defender than, than Zinchenko, but it had similar vibes to me where he was on an island at times and then the overloads they created... Mm you know, the whole left side of the Newcastle defense sort of crumbled at times. Um, but, you know, that shows, as we said, you know, last time out, Mo Salah is the best player in the league. Uh, he had an, another brace today, could have had another. He missed, apparently he missed his four of his nine penalties, last nine penalties, he's missed four of yeah. them. I guess now <clears throat> it's four and ten because he made the second penalty <laughs> that he that they were awarded in the match for what I thought was a very soft uh, yeah. award. He, he sort of went down in state. He was touched, but yeah. he went down in in stages yeah. once the ball was away, you know? Yeah, the, the first contact was, you know, a few seconds before he ended up, you know, dropping. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a soft penalty, but it's Anfield. Um, so you, you're going to get those, those 50-50 decisions. But yeah, like you said, uh, Mo Salah, 1v1 against most defenders in the world are going to struggle against him. I think the best matchup against Salah is probably going to be a wan But you're rarely going to see that ever probably on that side. You wouldn't trust wan as, <laughs> as a left-sided <laughs> fullback. Um, but yeah, and I, I think it was an interesting conversation. I don't know if you saw it between Zinchenko and Ferdinand. Uh, when Zinchenko said to him, you know, if your fullback is inverted and tucks in, how would you defend against that? And Ferdinand said, you know, the best bet is to hope that your winger can run into that space that's left him behind. And I think that's kind of what you have to do with Liverpool is when Arnold uh, tucks in and is that other extra option in midfield, it's, it forces the opposing winger to track him, which then leaves the opportunity for Salah to be one-on-one with a fullback. You kind of sometimes need to make them think the other way because if you put him one-on-one, he is, if he's not going to score, he's going to assist or he's going to be a constant threat throughout the game. And, and Dan Byrne is not, he's not a slouch. He's not, you know, very, very good, astute defender. But, you know, in Anfield, with the crowd, the weather, 
being on the front foot throughout the game, it's it's tough going for most people. Yeah, I will say I noticed for the first time today that Mo Salah may need a bit of Rogaine action. <laughs> I don't know if you saw his receiving airline in there. I had never noticed that before, but he might need to invest. Uh, but, you know, he is going to be off to AFCON, the African Cup of Nations, uh, after today. And it raises the question of how Liverpool are going to line up. Do they stick with Darwin through the middle? Does Diogo Jota come into things? I think if I were picking the team, he would. You know, what would you like to see out of that Liverpool front line as they try and cope with the loss of, you know, possibly the world's best player at the moment? Yeah, coping is probably the best thing they can do um, and put a bit more emphasis on their number nine to, to recover those kind of goals. So being a lot more clinical up front is going to be a main factor. Um Jota probably is the best finisher they have in, in the squad. Closely followed by maybe Gakpo or Diaz, I'm not sure. But I would probably go with Nunes um, either through the middle or outright with Jota and, and Diaz as the front three. Uh, with Gakpo obviously coming in. Um, he does well when he comes off games. Um, added boost of energy and, and he can stretch teams himself and he's got a great presence as well. Um so I think, yeah, it would have to be Jota, Nunes, and and Diaz for me. I thought Diaz had a really good game today as well. Yeah, I think Diaz has not had a great season, and obviously there were some mitigating circumstances. His, his father was kidnapped. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Um, but he's sort of kicking into form a bit now, and you're seeing some of the pace and power in his running again. He's getting on the ends of things again. He He's going to need to step up. I, I think you're right. I, I would... I would do anything to get Jota in the team, and I, I would probably keep him out on the left. Mm. And I would, tr- I guess, I would try it with with Darwin. Um, but I, you know, they might end up making a change. Would be my prediction. If yeah, I, I think a lot of Darwin's best work comes from combining with Mo Salah. Maybe he can, you know, keep that going with whoever comes in. Um, but with all that Liverpool talk, it's time for me to admit that as soon as I said that Arsenal had a more complete squad <laughs> than Liverpool, they go and throw away as many points as possible over the, the Christmas period. Yeah, uh, They lost 2-0 to West Ham at home, which w- wasn't the worst performance, but you know, a very poor result and, and a very poor finishing display. Uh-huh. Poor display in both boxes. And they follow that up, that up with easily the worst performance of the season, uh, going down... F- 2-1 to Fulham. Um, and I the only thing I would say to defend myself now that I have the egg on my face is that you can't legislate for their best players becoming bad. And that's <laughs> what's happened. Gabriel Martinelli has been atrocious over the last three or four matches. And I love the guy. Mm-hmm. I love him to death. But that is the truth. Saka, he scored the opener here. Uh, but he didn't know too much about it, and he didn't offer too much beyond that. Mm. Obviously, he gets doubled in every match. He gets kicked in every match, but we need more from him. Um, you know what? When you saw the lineup, though, and you saw that Gabriel Jesus had been dropped for Eddie and Kedia, and that was the major change to the team. You know what did you make of that? Straight away, I thought you guys would struggle, uh, especially with Havertz in the team as well. So without having that creativity, uh, because Odegaard's having to drop a lot deeper just to, for ball progression and, and, and build up a phasing of play. And then Jesus is great at dropping in those little pockets and linking with the front three. 
and Ketcher, that's not his game. He's a poacher, he's a finisher, um, and he didn't get many opportunities in the game. So he was kind of like in and out of the game most of the time. Um, and then Havertz, he's he's more into just crashing into the box, um, getting on the end of crosses, making those late runs, you know, those third man runs into the box. And, you know, he's a lot more calm and uh, composed in the box than, than Shaka, which was one of the main reasons he was probably bought in that left eight position. But I, I looked to that side, especially with Kiwa as well, left back, who's not as great when he's inverted and comfortable in possession in the midfield. It, it did look like you guys would struggle with, you know, your patterns of play. And that was evident. Um, I think Fulham were brilliant, uh, coupled with some of your, you know, your first team standout players just off the races a little bit. I thought Declan Rice had a poor game, which we haven't said all season. Uh, Martelay has been poor for a while. Saka, not just he wasn't as effective, but he started to seem a bit more frustrated as well. He's always been kicked. He's always, you know, had two guys up against him. But he seemed to, you know, be a bit more frustrated with some of the decisions that went against him when he wasn't getting the fouls. Uh, and then when the subs were made in the second half, I just thought it was a little, little too late to try and turn it around. And, and Fulham had the ascendancy by then. And they themselves could have got a couple extra goals. Pereira had that great, great free kick that hit the crossbar. So I just think it was, it was a bad day at the office, something that the squad shouldn't dwell on too much. I don't think we should overanalyze it um, and just move on because you're going to get blips like that throughout the season. Yeah, I, I was discouraged just by the pace of passing. Uh, there And in the second half, there was no movement. There was nobody to hit mm. when, you know, Saliba or Declan Rice would get on the ball. And, you know, I got to say both of them had weird days. I mean, I saw William Saliba misjudge a bouncing ball. Suddenly Fulham are in behind him. Mm. I saw Declan Rice misplacing passes, but also he got spun on a pirouette by Andreas Pereira, who I, actually is a player that I rate, mm. but you don't say that about Declan Rice. He doesn't get spun by a pirouette. Yeah. Uh, so it was just a completely bizarre performance. And in my notes, I just have multiple lines that are just like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> it's like, I can, there's some things I can understand. Like Gabriel Jesus, not the best finisher in the world, mm. but uh, I don't, I think he was sort of scapegoated almost for the poor finishing display at West Ham. And I don't think it makes us better to have Eddie and Kedia playing. No. And then, you know, Fulham are a good side. I, this is not Sheffield United at home. I would have dropped Martinelli. And I think the manager has to answer for some of the decisions he's making. I thought, as you said, that we had this sort of these rolling substitutions every few minutes. So the, the team is constantly changing, but none of these subs are filling me with belief. Like whenever Eddie and Ketty is coming on, I don't feel like we're more likely to score a goal. Mm. He started this match, but the people that did come on, you know, Reese Nelson hasn't really had too many moments since you know he had one of the most famous moments in the last at least the club's history at the Emirates Stadium last last season yeah. haven't seen that much from him Emil Smith Rowe can't get a look in I just look at this team and I'm and I, I say Martinelli could use a rotation Emil Smith Rowe used to play left wing for Mikel Arteta and scored a lot of goals mm. you know I, why can't he get a look in why does he never get a look in at the the number eight uh, I, I just don't understand some of the the decisions that are being made. Uh, you know, Kivior, maybe Takahiro Tamiyasu wasn't quite fit enough to to start this match, but I didn't love Kivior at, at left back either. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that maybe Zinchenko really was carrying an injury, but uh, 
he, you know, he was he was rotated, and I think correctly, but I, I just don't think that the manager is getting the decisions right right now. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think um, effective squad management is a big part of winning the league uh, and being strong throughout the season. And I think a couple of the decisions, Arteta just hasn't got it right. Um, Smith Rowe definitely is one that I think can be utilised a lot more. You're yeah, at risk of burning out Saka again, which was a factor last season. There doesn't seem to be a trust in other players, whether it's Reese Nelson, whether it's Mark Quinos, I don't know what happened to him, whether it's, you know, um, Jesus maybe playing outright. Um, it just seems that the the effective use of the squad is just is just not working. And we've all seen that Martellini's been poor for a while. Give Trossard four or five games in the team starting and see how he does there. Um, is not someone that does give much belief, much hope. Um, he can nick a goal here and there against some of the weaker sides, uh, but away to Fulham is still considered a derby game. Uh, so you know, I, I I do think that that decision definitely went went against you um, against you guys, and you saw that in the way you guys were playing. Uh, and the same thing with Declan Rice; he can't play every single week. At some point, he's going to have a drop in form or, or have fatigue. And I think that showed a little bit in the game as well, where Fulham just looked a bit more at the races than you guys. They were snapping to challenges. They were getting second loose balls a bit quicker. Um, and yeah, uncharacteristic uh, things was happening against you know your, your best, your better players and Saliba and, and Declan Rice being caught on the ball, being caught with the half bounces and just not reading things as quickly as they were in, in the past few games and earlier in the season. So, you know, he does need to look at how we can utilise the squad and hopefully you guys will get some uh, some recruitment done in January as well just to boost you guys. Yeah, I do think this match week exposes that, you know, I think Liverpool have holes in, you know, maybe defensive midfield. I'm not sold on them at the back. But Arsenal's holes, and Liverpool are significantly ahead on this, are attacking options to come off the bench who you trust to mm. score and create goals. For Arsenal, it's really, at the moment, it seems like Leandro Trossard is the only player that the manager trusts to come off the bench. Eddie Nketiah's record off the bench is terrible in terms of goal scoring. Emile Smith-Rowe can't get a game. Uh, you know, I, I just, something needs to be done. I, I would go so far as to sell Eddie Nketiah in January if you could bring in another striker. Could you package him to get an Ivan Tony? Do you go to Brentford and you say, we'll give you $50 million and Eddie and Kedia for Ivan Tony? Mm. I just think we need an, another option. We need a lethal goal scorer, elite goal scorer. Um, mm. Because I, I love Gabriel Jesus, but he doesn't offer that. He's more of a link man, which is, is a, you know, he plays a Bobby Firmino role in this team. But yeah. we need somebody to come off the bench who is an Ole Gunner Solskjaer for those great Man United teams that is, he exists yeah. to score goals and he has a record of, of coming on as a substitute and scoring goals, which Eddie Nketiah does not. Uh, but, you know, I can't let it slide by without just pointing out a couple moments that drove me crazy. Bakayo Saka's mm -hmm. effort. It was a Gabriel Martinelli cross in that was poorly headed away by Fulham. It's a looping ball. It's not the easiest technique. In retrospect, he had time to bring it down, but I don't even care about that. He should be putting that on target from four yeah, yards out least. or whatever that is. Like maybe he's right outside the yeah. six yard box. That has got to hit the target. It's it has to. We mm -hmm. we can't have this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
And it, it was surprising that of all the of all the players in your squad that you want that to drop to, it's probably going to be Sako or Odegaard that have the technique and ability to to finish that, let alone just hitting the target. So it was it was an off day. Um, and when you have multiple players that you guys usually rely on just having an off day, it doesn't matter who you're playing against. And, and, and the Fulham side are decent. They had Jimenez back in the side. William had a good game. Um, and Paulina, I thought, was brilliant. In, in the game before that, I thought he looked quite leggy. He didn't look at the races. But, you know, against against you guys, he seemed like the Paulina that, that Bayern Munich and a lot of the teams in the league were looking at. Uh, I thought he had a battle with Rice throughout the game and, and he bossed that midfield and made a lot of great interceptions and, and challenges. Um, but I think another player that's probably been off form for a little while has gone under the radar is uh, Ben White as well his combinations with Saka were were pivotal to your success last season and we're just not seeing that same fluid, fluidity and, and combinations between them so I think that that's an area that that needs to be looked at as well yeah I think that gets at what you were saying about Declan Rice needing to step up his progressive passing game um, we're missing Thomas Party on that side of the field. I think that was the triangle that was so devastating for the first, you know, 70% of last season. Um, and it, it just, it hasn't been there. It, we, we we're not seeing that flowing patterns of play up the right. And on, you know, for weeks now, I've been saying the whole left side of the team needs to be, to, to be changed. <laughs> I mean, Martinelli should not be starting matches right now. Zinchenko, I think maybe he, w- he did really have a calf strain, this weekend, but I think, you know, part of it is the desire to rotate him and not have it be a whole story about how he was subbed. Um, mm. But yeah, maybe he had a calf strain, but I, I thought it was the right thing to do to change it up. I, there, there needs to be something needs to happen because this was not just West Ham was worrying in that it reminded me of those later Wenger years at the Emirates where you have all of the ball you set a record for touches in the opponent's box without scoring in a Premier League match. <laughs> that reminds me of those Wenger teams that ultimately did not have uh, the minerals, the required the minerals to do it. And this was yeah. a version, this was almost an Unai Emery thing, or I don't even know. It, it was such a listless, we sort of sleepwalked through the second half to a defeat. No ideas, no movement, slow passing. Hmm. It's it's a serious issue, and I'm I'm hoping that they, it's something they can leave in the rear view. But we lost badly in two different ways in in the space of four days. I feel like, yeah. And I'm gonna go out on the limb here and say that you guys will have potentially a worse off season if it continues like this than last year. Uh, and I think that's all gonna be down to Arteta changing his tactics and getting the wrong personnel in. So with Declan Rice, you've got an elite ball winner, great athlete, you know, covers so much ground and he's assured in possession, but he doesn't have the progressive passes that party has. He doesn't open up and just transition from defence to attack straight away and feed those balls into Odegaard in the final third, who can then create something. And then on the other side, as as poor as as lackluster at times Shaka was in the final third, or he just thought he didn't have that that killer instinct. He was great at linking that left side with Martinelli playing those inside channel balls that Martinelli could run into and just give him one-on-one or, or an opportunity to, to shoot on goal. 
you're not going to get that from Kai Havertz. He's not that kind of player. Um, and Zinchenko's defensive fra- frailties will, will always be exposed if you guys aren't dominating possession. So I think from both sides of your build-up play, it's weaker. Um, granted, Partey being out is an injury, but Partey's never had a great injury record anyway at Arsenal. So that that's something that should have been looked at. Um, and Vieira, I think Bar Rice, who's, a, I guess, a no-brainer signing, Arteta hasn't got it right with his midfield signing. Vieira hasn't hit the ground. Lokonga hasn't hit the ground. Um, so you're looking at, you guys are going to need another midfielder too if, you know, this is going to be Partey's last season. El Nenny's never going to be that player either. He's he's worse than uh, Rice at progressing the ball. So you haven't got much options there. Um, and then with Odegaard having to drop deeper just to link the play and, and get onto the ball more, he's further away from the front three. And then your creativity is then hampered further. So, yeah, it, it worked first, first third or first half of the season. And I just think that's because of, you know, your your players were on more form. But I think over the course of the season, if it continues like this, it, it's, you guys need to find a different way of playing. Um, and maybe putting Smith Rose at number eight or Trossard as a number eight and getting Odegaard further forward and Havertz is that option that comes off the bench rather than Inketia. Yeah. Yeah, I would like to see Smith Rowe in that that left eight role. I think he's a great combination player. He can be that third man runner uh, who causes huge problems for defense. Um, but it doesn't seem like the manager trusts him to to start matches or even come on. I mean, he didn't even get on the on the pitch this time. But we can yeah. we can move now from my misery to yours. Not the first time <laughs> we've done that on the match report. Uh, but Manchester United went to the city ground and they came back uh, with a 2-1 loss on the record. And I got to say, from my perspective, as soon as I saw that Rasmus Hoyland was out and Anthony was in to replace him, I thought you guys might be in some trouble. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. And my biggest... I've got quite a few big gripes with this with this team, to be honest. But one of my biggest gripes is this United side don't seem to know how to handle any sort of setback. Yes, Anthony's not great. He's no, not probably one of the last players you want to see on the team sheet now. But Rashford up front, Garnacho, Eriksen back in midfield, Fernandez, you still expect a certain level of performance. And you know, we can't be relying on a 20-year-old striker to for us to have an effective way of playing. Or, you know, if any injury cause, you know, causes us to suddenly have no style of play or just don't know what we're doing. And it just looked like that first half, it could have gone by. You could have switched the TV off. There was nothing there was nothing to do really from us. And we changed it at half-time by bringing on McTominay, which caused a few uproars with United fans. But I didn't think that was a bad substitution because Nottingham Forest wasn't really doing anything in that first half they weren't really getting at us we was comfortable in possession and another body in midfield that could get a goal and push a bit further forward made sense we don't have any other option really in midfield Um, and Maynou's played what three four games now he's an 18 year old you know two games over four days he didn't have the energy he did look a little bit lackluster um and a bit off the pace, which is understandable. So it's, it's there for the rest of the team to step up. You know, you can't be relying on an 18-year-old to, you know, to be cementing his 
and his authority and, and his style of play on, on a game. You've got Fernandez, you've got Ericsson, you've got, you know, Rashford there. Rashford up front does nothing for us. You know, he's he's got no presence up there. He doesn't run into the channels. He kind of just hopes for the ball to come and it was a great assist from Garnacho and a good finish. But other than that, he didn't really cause Nottingham Forest any threat. Yeah, I I did think that the McTominay substitution hurt you guys. I, I thought almost immediately United sort of lost control of the midfield because you just have too many people that want to stream forward. I mean, he's basically a second striker, Scott McTominay. I, I don't think that he wants yeah. to play in the engine room, really, or that he's much good at, at playing in the engine room. I thought Maynou, for all his faults, you know, He's a young player who is, you know, has made a couple mistakes, but I don't think that he was the problem in the first half. And then you see on the the winner, you know, Anthony Alanga, who we can get into uh, as a, an example of United's interesting transfer policy. But you know, he's in at the back line. He finds uh, Morgan Gibbs White at the top of the box. The defense, the center backs, the center halves were way too deep, I thought, where they were defending. Hmm. But also that's where Maynu probably would have been, the top of the box, plugging those gaps. Scott McTominay was nowhere to be found, and Morgan Gibbs-White, Morgan Gibbs-White swept home what was a pretty hmm. accomplished finish to, to put the yeah. Devils to the sword. Yeah, and it was a similar finish for their first goal as well. But again, like I just think... You know the kind of player McTominay is, um, and it's almost like he is going to just be running for, further forward and trying to get us that winner because it didn't seem like it was coming from anywhere else. It didn't seem like it was coming from out wide, through the middle. Um, and Ericsson, you're an experienced centre midfielder. You've been in the game for how long? You know, it's either him or McTominay that we've seen those cutback goals. They've been at fault. And I think it's like the seventh cutback goal we've conceded. So it's a repeated issue that we have where our midfield is just not switching on. Um, and fair play to McTominay. He did try. He went to go and cover and, and go 2v1 against Ilanga. But his midfield partner was nowhere to be seen. So I even think that one was on on the obvious look. It does seem like, okay, McTominay's messed up there again. But where's Ericsson, who's meant to be our holding midfielder now? You know, a ball-playing centre midfielder that's got the experience to see gaps. And it's happened time and time again. Um, it's it, it was a poor game to watch. And, and I think Nottingham Forest had a game plan. Uh, Ilanga was always just going to be looking for for, for that run in, in, in behind. And, you know, and for the cutbacks, like I said, it happened twice. And it was a comfortable win in the end for them. Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, Matt Turner tried to commit suicide on a number of occasions and, and succeeded. <laughs> uh, you know, again, I always try and rep the Americans who are making their name over there, but you know, that pass, I didn't, I didn't see United finding a way in if they were not gifted that. And that is where, exactly. you know, I feel like I'm becoming, you know, some crotchety old boomer, but I'm like, <laughs> why are you trying to play out of the back? Like I know that Nuno, the Spirito Santo, the new, the new manager who's in, he's got his his philosophies, but everybody in the league does this now. And it's like, you're Nottingham Forest, you're playing Manchester United, it's the 78th minute, maybe just hoof it, maybe play it deep. They don't, like, United don't even want to deal with that long ball. Like, I think it's a better play in, in every respect. Um, but I didn't see United doing anything otherwise from that. Um, and I do think that the manager 
I don't know. I know that it's not going to solve the problems to get rid of this manager, but where are the patterns of play? It's been, you know, a year and a half, and it's even down to the substitutions. Why is he waiting? They said this on the American feed, the color commentator. I forget who it was. Uh, yeah. He's like, why is he waiting eight minutes into the second half to make a sub that you know that he wanted to make at halftime? Is he just trying to avoid the <laughs> storyline about Anthony getting subbed at the half? And then I don't know if you noticed that Anthony he's sort of – I won't. I can't see. Yeah. Ended. He starts you? limping off <laughs> when he gets subbed out for a, a you know a young kid who they're like anybody is better than this. <laughs> and to be fair to to Ahmad, he he did decent, but our expectation is so low now that any player that can string you know four or five passes together and keep hold of the ball, you know we're we're lording over over some of the other current players. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's my biggest gripe with with Ten Hag. It's not even the results; it's more the performances. And we we brought in a a young coach who had right ideas, was playing great football of Ajax, and United fans were excited to see that. Um, almost, you know, we would would have accepted a seventh, eighth place finish even in the first season if we started seeing a real identity. And that identity didn't have to be United of old didn't need to be flying wingers and crosses into the box and, and great midfield like generals that we've had before. Just start a new era of football for us and let's be consistent with our recruitment and, and the kind of players that we're bringing in. Um, and he's kind of just thrown away all his philosophies to try and get results. And it's the same players that at times save managers, but then end up getting these managers sacked. You know, McTominay, you know, Bissaka, Shaw, uh, uh, Maguire, these are the players that are trusted and then either because of injury, poor record, or either because of loss of form, either because of ability, you just look at them and just think, why is these managers still playing them? Why are they still getting opportunity? You know, how long is McTominay going to get a bligh in this team just because of a couple late goals he had three months ago? You know, Maguire's had a couple purple patches where he's done well, once he's injury fit, I see him probably starting ahead of Varane again. So it's it's not great. There's not much optimism. And at the moment, I don't actually have any reservations or any any affinity to, to Ten Hag. I liked the original Ten Hag. I don't like this new version of him. If he stays, great. If he doesn't, great. You know, it's, it's, that's not really going to be the be and end all of how United progress now in the next couple of years. Um but I also just feel there's not much else out there to replace him with. But you, you can't argue that another manager will probably get better results. Yeah. I mean, I, I just find the raw stats to be pretty damning for him. I mean, 22 goals scored <laughs> for Manchester United in, in 20 matches. That is level with Crystal Palace, who are in 14th. And actually, there's only... There's only two teams, Burnley and Sheffield United, who have scored fewer goals than Manchester United this season. Um, and I just, I don't think that that, you know, there's enough quality in the team for them to have scored more than 22 goals. And I just think the buck has to stop with the manager. Although, I mean, Manchester United is still in seventh place. It's sad to talk about them this way, but they're not, <laughs> you know, they're... Uh, nine points off the top four. So, it, you know, it's it's not going to happen for them. Or, yeah, nine points off the top four. It's it's not going to happen for them, but somehow he does, he has this uh, 
Eric Ten Hag has this way of winning just enough matches that United are not in total mid table, mm. but not he's not doing nearly enough to get them into the into the top four conversation. Yeah, but again, I think even irrespective of where we are in the league, even if we miraculously got, you know, fourth spot, or even if we got into Europa position, I, I still don't have much optimism for the following season. I'd much prefer us playing even Tottenham's brand of football um, and be, you know, seventh, eighth than, than where we're at now. You know, it's it, it's it's getting a bit boring to be honest, um, and we're resting a lot of hopes on the returning players from injury. But you can't be relying on Martinez to make our football better. You can't be relying on a Casemiro for us to now suddenly start having patterns of play. Those players aren't, that's not their forte anyway, you know. And, and Mason Mount hasn't um, slotted into this team seamlessly for us to think that he's going to become our saviour either. Uh, Martial, that's another potential option, but he's probably leaving in January and he, he doesn't seem like he's, he's asked most of the time to even play football. So mm. I, I, don't, I don't see how it gets better until we do a complete revamp. Um, and every game, every Premier League game, at least it looks like we could be in trouble if we're not a hundred percent at it. Um, and yeah, there's, there's, there's not much optimism to be honest. Yeah, well, from one team that always seems to be 6th or 7th, regardless of results, we go to Chelsea Football Club, who will always be in 10th place, no matter what happens. <laughs> uh, but they did, you know, they sort of scratched out a win at Kenilworth, Kenilworth Road, which we've seen is a very difficult place to go, even for way better teams than Chelsea. Um, and it was, you know, the story again was Cole Palmer, rebranded as Cold Palmer, uh, for what was a pretty slick take. I mean, that was sort of a almost, uh, it's high praise, but almost like. a messy-ish uh, mm-hmm. little faint uh, routine that he did in the box there. Um, and Noni Madweke also, another young kid who, I guess this is the Chelsea project as, you know, everybody was hoping, even if they, again, are still in, in 10th place. Yeah. Yeah, Um Definitely the young players stepped up for them. I thought it looked like a much more balanced team, but it was interesting to see Jackson playing out out wide um, as opposed to through the middle. And I think he's similar to Nunes where he does get into the right positions and he, he is a threat at times, but his, his finishing has been really quite poor. Um, and it happened again, even in this game from the left, you know, he had a couple of chances, one on the keeper and it was just a really tame effort. Uh, but I think he got an assist for one of the goals and it just looked like there was a bit more cohesion and I think Cole Palmer is really growing into being a semi-leader in this team Um, and yeah it was a great finish that second one I think I likened it quite similar to Ozil's goal he scored in Europa League for Arsenal Uh, not as good but you know that that faint drop of the shoulder rolled the goalkeeper rolled another defender then just slotted it in Uh, and and I was really happy to see Madueke actually get get a, a goal and, you know, off the back of another goal from, from the previous game, after his managers come out and said, look, you, you need to step up if you want to play at this level and play in this side. And it seems that, you know, he's he's put his head down and he's getting a just reward for his performances in training and in, and in games. Yeah, and for Luton, uh, Alfie Dotti, 
who I recommended as a as a fantasy and FPL pick a couple weeks ago, or maybe actually just this past week, two assists. He's playing that interesting uh, sort of wing back role. Wing back. Um, yeah. And you know, I think Luton plays some decent stuff. I mean, it's pretty direct, but as I've been saying all season, I I can see a path to them surviving that is just clearly yeah. not there for Burnley or or Sheffield United. They're physical. They're direct. They're going to punish you at set pieces. And they have some decent technicians. Like, you need one or two wide players, good technicians, put a good ball in, good shape on it, do a lot of the work for your, you know, your big center back who's up for a corner or whatever it may be. And they use those advantages that they have. I mean, it's a bit of it is Chelsea attempting to throw it away, which, you know, might be a symptom of their young team. Um, you could see at the final whistle that how upset Tiago Silva was because they were mm. so determined to try and throw this match away. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're right. They do have um, some quality in good areas that will make them an effective effective team and hopefully stay up in the league. I'd love to see them stay up. Uh, and Doherty, his delivery is quality. Um, you know, running onto the ball, first-time crosses, set pieces... Uh, and you know, playing with Adebayo up front, who's a great presence and is decent in the air, um, it's not a bad finisher as well. You know, there's a route for them to get goals in this league. Uh, a couple of that with you know the, some of the experienced players in, in Barkley and um, uh, Townsend as well. With uh, with Chong, Chong's got great pace. Um, a couple of their breakaways that they had in the game, they could have capitalized with just a better decision making in the final third. But yeah, like I, I do like the. I like the hard work and the, the work rate of this Luton side um, and kind of just playing simple, basic football, but effective. And the best football is, is playing it simply, to be honest. So that's the hardest thing to do. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're interesting and, and a good good side to watch and a good story if they do stay up. For sure. It would be fun if they could stick around. And there there are some other teams that I would send packing instead of them, <laughs> but we don't get to choose, I suppose. Uh, but we could move to the team that I've been saying is going to go down, but I'm looking worse by the day, even if they, they came up short here. Uh, Tottenham 3-1, Bournemouth. Uh, and Bournemouth are, are a pretty decent side. Um, I, I, don't, I still just don't really understand it beyond the Dominic Solanke effect uh, and its incredible <laughs> form. We'll see if the form is you know, a permanent fixture of this game or whether this is a purple patch. Uh, but you know yeah. what? What did you make of this? Could Bournemouth have taken more out of this game? Hundred percent. I thought the the game was decided on quality of finishing because that first half performance, I thought Bournemouth were, were brilliant, um, and a few of them actually fell to Solanke and he didn't put them away, which he has done in the past few games. Uh, whereas, you no, know, surprisingly, Richarlison was finishing his chances, um, and Son was obviously he's he's a great finisher, so. Um, yeah, I think the game was decided on, on, on the quality at the end of the day. And I think even in the second half, uh, there was a goal walled off marginally offside for Bournemouth as well. They could have made it 3-2. Um, Alex Scott is a great young player that I think has got a great future in the game as well. He came on and, and looked quite threatening. Um, and in the second half, they could have got you know a couple goals back themselves. I just think Tottenham's finishing was better on the day. Uh, but you know it was an end-to-end game, and, and both chance both teams had enough chances to win the game. Yeah, just Bournemouth's second loss in their last ten. They won eight of those matches in the Premier League. 
Uh, it wow. is impressive stuff. And you're right to point out, you know, none of us want to admit it, but Richarlison is scoring goals for Tottenham Hotspur. That's what, when I, I, rec- times. I recommended him as an FPL pick as well. And I had the same thing. I was like, look, we don't, none of us like it, but it's, it's a fact. I mean, he is producing and that must be a big part of how they're going to survive uh young men's son going to the Asian cup uh, for this month. And, you know, the South Koreans mm-hmm. are, have a great squad. I could see them going very deep in that tournament, which means the players yeah. will be missing, you know, Huang Hee Chan, at Wolves is also in that squad. I mean, they got a great team. Mm. Um, they could go to the final, and that's a lot of matches that you're depending on Richarlison and I guess Brennan Johnson. I guess you're hoping Kulisevsky, who may or may not be fit at the moment, but um, you're hoping these guys all chip in to try and make up. To me, it seems like Youngman's son is actually a bigger loss to Tottenham than even Mo Salah might be to Liverpool just because he's so far ahead of their other options in terms of his quality. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I, I think he's way more pivotal to, to their game um, and a lot more reliant on Son getting getting goals um, and being a threat and, and just running into the channels and in behind than, than Amor Salah, um, which doesn't take anything obviously away from Salah. Uh, but I think Tottenham will really struggle without him. Um, Richarlison is doing well. He's getting goals. He he could get a couple more because his his finishing is still hit and miss. Um, but I don't see where they're going to replace that from. Um, Brendan Johnson's good, uh, but I, I thought Brian Gill he still hasn't got a goal in the Premier League for for Tottenham yet. I just don't see where they're going to get their goals from. Um, and then they had the injury to uh, to Saar as well, who's. He's really grown this season, this Tottenham side, and looks like a great signing for them. Um, but it was good to see Bentacore back, and he, he's a great ball player as well. Um, he's a great technician on the ball. So I think it's going to require the rest of the squad to really cover the absence of Son, and I, I just don't see the quality anywhere else in the, in the squad to to make up for, you know, for, for his lack of quality. Yeah, Bentancur is a very elegant player. He's a classy guy on the ball. But I think that that's what we're going to see from Tottenham is some pretty stuff, and they're going to lose a lot of matches, is is what I would predict mm-hmm. over the next month. I, I think they're going to struggle to cope without Son, and the injuries are real. I mean, they lost Christian Romero, who I think is a bit, it's a bit overcooked how good people seem to say he is. Yeah, I do. he is overrated. But he's qual- he's a quality player, and him and Van de Ven, Mickey Van de Ven, you know, in the beginning of the season had a nice little partnership. I, I just see a scenario where Spurs concede as many goals as they have been, but they're not scoring as many goals. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see, you know, where that is headed for them. But you never know. I was wrong about Bournemouth, and maybe I'll be wrong about the Spurs as well. Uh, <laughs> but we have one more match to get to uh, before yeah. we go, which is one of my favorite teams in the league always has been the Crystal Palace. Um, and they ran out 3-1 victors over... Brentford, a Brentford side who are really struggling for form. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, you know, the Crystal Palace story is great to me. I love Michael Elise. I love that he chose to stay instead of becoming yet another, you know, jewel in the Chelsea crown of young players. And Eberechi Eze is sort of his partner in crime, two, like, really quality technical players who I think we've talked about it before on the match report. 
that they're sort of old school and that they they're not actually that quick but somehow mm -hmm. they glide by you anyway because they're just so intelligent yeah. in how they run with the ball yeah um Eze is a player that uh, I've, I've been watching and i've scouted from from when he was uh, a youth player at qpr um and you know i've loved his no i've loved watching his development um he's he's been hit with a couple of injuries so i feel like we haven't been speaking about him as much as some of the other players in the league in his position um but if he's injury fit i, I put him up you know top five in that attacking midfield position i think he's that good uh, like you said, he said, he can glide, he can go either way, and he's got great technical ability. Uh, and Elise, man, he's he's so great to watch. Um, I think Crystal Palace is the best place for him for now. I think another couple of years uh, it, with this side and just growing and, and building up his, his stature um, within not just the team, but within the league as well, and being you know looked at and being relied upon as being the main man for them. I think will will only help him become a better player, but I think he has the qualities to be top four easily. Uh, I'd much rather have him in the United side at the moment as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's great to watch them play. Um, but the thing about Palace is one one week you get three four goals from them, and then the next week they just don't look like scoring. And I don't know how much of that is, you know, Hodgson style of play or just the quality that they have uh, through the middle. Um, but yeah, when they're on form, man, they look like a really exciting young team. Yeah, and one thing you know with Roy is that he's going to keep you up. It might not always be pretty, <laughs> but you will stay in the league. Uh, yeah. I think that has to be part of the the calculus for a, a club like Palace, who it always seems like they're on the cusp of a top-half finish and sort of turning the corner and also turning the corner on the quality of their play on a consistent basis and the, their patterns of play. But I think they're going to be that team that scratches out results when they need it, has some really poor mm. displays occasionally. They're, they're going to leak, you know, four or five goals sometimes when somebody big comes to town. But they have one yeah. of the best grounds, I think. I, I've been to Selhurst Park, and it's one of my favorite stadiums I've ever been to. Um, and it's very loud. It's a, it's a difficult place to go. And I think Brentford felt that. And I also just think Brentford, I don't know what is going on. They got some injuries. I think Johan uh, Wissa is going to AFCON as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, are they looking at Neil Malpai, who's sort of like Richarlison? <laughs> he's, he's like the the witch <laughs> version of Richarlison or something. Um, just as likable and, and just as lethal in front of goal. Uh, historically. <laughs> but I don't know what's going to happen to them. I mean, they, they still have some quality players sprinkled in there, but Thomas Frank has a job on, I think. Yeah, I think the thing about Brentford is they've got a, they've got a good identity, and it's similar with Brighton. They they do have a particular style of play and, and the way they want to play. So even when players come in and out, the quality may drop um, in terms of you know the final third or just keeping a clean sheet. But they they always can be a threat with, you know in any game, uh, and they started off uh, quite well in the game. Um, but I just think that they're missing too much quality and, you know, as good as, you know, their structure and, and their system is without the quality to, to finish and get you over the, over the finishing line, they are going to struggle and can see goals and, and be dropping further down the table. Um, I do think they'll stay up. I don't think they're, they're a side that's going to get relegated, but 
it'll be interesting to see if Tony goes back into the side and he doesn't get sold because I think he he adds you know two three levels to their side straight away um, and some of these some of these games where they've done well in patches they could you know they could go out on top yeah we'll have to see I worry about them but I think you're right that they won't go down uh but that is the uh there's one more match in the festive period I suppose tomorrow even though most people would say that it's all over and it's the it's no longer <laughs> the holidays but uh West Ham hosts Brighton yeah. tomorrow which is actually a great match I think West Ham are great form, form teams in the league but we'll see how that pans out we'll see uh next week we got the FA Cup so maybe we could circle up for the match report mm-hmm. and uh you know there's there's some fun fixtures there too Sunderland and Newcastle reviving a sort of inside derby yeah exactly yeah where so i think what yeah go on what i like about the fa cup is uh you get a chance just to see some of the youngsters some of the fringe players and the academy prospects hopefully get a chance um so it's always a good thing to see so yeah could be some interesting games hopefully one or two upsets as long as it's not united (laughs) yeah arsenal are playing (laughs) liverpool yet again and i'm sort of hoping they both play the kids so it doesn't really yeah. count, but we'll have to see. <laughs> uh, but happy New Year, Manny, and uh, I hope you have you a too, great bro. week. Until then, and we'll we'll be back next week with another issue of Match Report.